All aboard the gravy train! Are you riding your financial planner or broker's gravy train? Your financial prospectus outlines how brokers are allowed to charge you hidden fees. Next stop, hidden fees! Want to take back control of your retirement income? Just get off at the next stop. And tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is brought to you by Total Financial Solutions. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the Total Welcome to the show. I'm Eric Fallaby, your Total Financial Solutions Hour host, <laughs> your show host, talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, trying to keep it a little light, but at the same time, uh, weeding through the, uh, I guess you would say, uh, the political, the arrogance, the the basic financial guidelines that we see and hear out there every day. They know that you don't understand, most people at least, don't understand the terms that they use. Now, listen, you're going to say, well, Arif, you know, that's part of the financial world. I, I get it. I get it. I understand that when they talk about average rates of return, uh, that that's a manipulated number. It's not a real number. And you say, well, gosh, what does that mean? Of course it is. Well, I'll give you a good example. Between my wife and I, we run on average... 10 miles a week. That's pretty amazing. She runs 20, I run zero. So <laughs> that means I, if you looked at the math, you'd say, yeah, Eric runs an average of t- 10 miles a week. She does all the work. She does all the heavy lifting. Ask any statistics student, first year, maybe even the first week, how easy it is to manipulate average rates of return where you carry the one. All I want you to do is say, how much money is in my account? Why does it seem like my account doesn't really go up? Why does it seem, and you think you're the only one being fooled with it. You hear a commercial that we're running on Dennis and I on uh, AM870, The Answer, and here's how Harvard, Harvard has the largest, if not one of the largest, if not the largest endowment for a higher educational institution in the country, maybe the world. They lost over $1 billion by speculating in Brazilian beef and agricultural products. Now, of course, you and I might say, boy, that's a lot of money. Oh, yes, it is. Somebody gave them that money. You understand that how an endowment works. You die, you give money to them, or you're alive, you give money to them, and you say, I want you to keep the principal, but the interest you can give away. You can give it in scholarships, you can build buildings, whatever the rules that are associated with that money. So if I give $100,000 and it generates $5,000 a year, that's all they can give away. They have to maintain and keep that $100,000. So they lost a billion dollars. Now you would think, hey, we lost $100 million. You know what? Let's cut our losses. Uh, no, no, no. It's $200 million. When we lose $200 million, we're going to quit. But the smart people at Harvard didn't quit. They didn't get out. They didn't save their money. They didn't stop investing. They did whatever it took to lose a billion 
dollars plus. Now, I don't tell you that because you're going to be investing in whatever they're doing over there. That's that's some crazy stuff. I'm telling you that because maybe you have a financial pro- professional who's smarter than the people at Harvard. I don't know. Maybe. I don't care about risk, whether it's right or wrong for you. You have to care if it's right or wrong for you. You have to care whether or not putting money at risk, uh, all of your money at risk maybe, is the right thing to do. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's time to take some of it off the market. That's what we talk about. We have a listener, you know, every once in a while, uh, look, I've been doing radio for over 14, almost 15 years, and you hear people, you know, everybody's got an opinion, and and I appreciate your opinions. I I love it when you guys email me and talk about stuff. There's one particular guy, (laughs) you know, you... You guys are talking about always putting your money in gold and you should and you're talking about always putting your money in listen. I think you should have some money safe, don't you? I think once you have built up your wealth, it's time to put some of it aside so it can't go backwards. Unless you're 73 and think you're going to go back to work. The financial professionals that got you from 0 to a million or whatever their number is, the prof- professionals that did that they only get paid if they keep your money at risk. They might be great at taking you from 100000 to 500000 in 10 years. That's amazing. But maybe they're not great at keeping your wealth, just growing it. And if the risk is too much for you, that's what we're about. You don't have to put everything in one place. In fact, I don't think that's a good idea no matter who you are. But I think you should have some money safe. I think you should put some money in a place where you can't go backwards when the stock market has a problem or when uh, the Federal Reserve or the European Central Banks, you know, central banks are around the country, uh, uh, sorry, around the world, are doing one thing. And let's make this clear. They try to control the markets. They tell you they're going to try to control money supply. And who are they? They're the ones that put money into the system, take money out of the system. They're the ones that tell banks you can lend 10 times what you have on deposit or you can lend 12 times what you have on deposit. For example, if you took money at a bank, Bank X, and you put in $100,000, they have to keep a certain number of dollars on deposit. Let's say it's 8%. That means you deposited $100,000 in a CD. They have to keep $8,000 in cash or cash equivalents. Under this example, that leaves them $92,000 to go out and lend. That's why they have to have FDIC insurance. Because if you came knocking the next day and said, I want my $8,000, and they don't don't have it, they don't take it from somebody else to give to you, and if the bank can't fulfill its promises because the guy or gal who borrowed $92,000 is out of business, then they have to pay up. You want your money. That's what keeps the confidence in the system. Well, years ago, decades ago, the Federal Reserve says, you know that $92,000? we are going to give you extra money so you can lend out two times the 92000 And when they try to get the market going, they say, we're going to lend out five times the 92000 That means for the $8,000 in cash or cash equivalents that a bank will hold, in my example, they are allowed to lend out three hundred, four hundred thousand. dollars $400,000. Now you can see the leveraging system that's out there. There's about 3.5, 3.7T, trillion dollars in paper money, cash, floating around here. Most of it's overseas, by the way, here in other countries. 
there are plenty of countries that actually use the U.S. currency as their own. Belize, Panama, they, many countries, five, six, seven of them. So they don't even have their own currency. They use the U.S. dollar. There's about $3.5, $3.7 trillion floating around. But when you add up all of the electronic money, right? The, you know, you pull up your bank account and it says you have $100,000 in your savings. You understand that's not really sitting in a drawer with your name on it at the bank. It's a bunch of zeros and ones in a computer. There's nearly $7 trillion of that money floating around. So if everybody at every minute of every day says, I want all of my money out, there's about $3 trillion, $4 trillion. No, they can't print it fast enough. Where did those dollars come from? I just told you. So we have a central bank called the Federal Reserve. Well, the European has a central bank. It's called the European Central Bank, ECB, Bank of Japan, Bank of England. Switzerland has their own central bank. So they've put money into the system. They take money out of the system. Here is what I'm hearing, that there may be an issue 2019 middle or end to the beginning of 2020. Why? Well, when you listen to the guys at BlackRock, you listen to the guys over at Guggenheim, they're pretty smart people. I was at a conference recently, a couple of conferences actually, and heard both of them speak. And, and the gentlemen that, that were speaking had something very clear to say. As the central banks are pulling money out of the system, they expect to see some corrections. Now, remember, that's code word for you losing money if you have money in the market. Isn't that funny? Your broker will say things like, oh, it's a correction. It's a correction. I'm like, really? So that means I got spanked for making money? Where's the, what's the problem here? Correction is supposed to be good when you're corrected. Why is it that I lose money? So be very careful because there's a reason that many, many people have no retirement savings at all. Recent report in Fox Business says 21% of Americans have no retirement savings at all. None. In fact, two-thirds of people, baby boomers, two-thirds have 25000 or less in retirement. And when you take that all and you add it all up together, folks, this is pretty significant. A lot of people are going to be stuck. What's the issue? What's the problem? Here's what it is. I think that as folks finally take, you know, because we, we go from when we're raising kids and, you know, my youngest is now 18 years old, uh, entering uh, college here in a few weeks. He understands one thing. As the youngest, you know, we, we told our kids, we're going to help you pay for your undergrad degree. And whether or not we pay for or, or help with grad school, or if, if that's where you tend to go or want to go, that's up to us. It's up to our situation. It's up to you, the grades you get, the, the, how, how deserving you are, and, and basically how we feel. Because our responsibility as parents, in my opinion, in today's world, is to help them get their uh, undergrad degree. Simple enough, right? That also means they have to go to community college. That's right. They have to complete as much of their general ed as possible at a community college. Then I'll help pay for their last two years. Why? Because what does it say on their diploma at the end? 
the community college? Of course not. Why would you guys pay top dollar for an English class or a basic history class in a room full of 400 people or 200 people? I was there. I sat in a room full of a, a bunch of, it looks like an auditorium. I was waiting for somebody to come out and play the banjo. I, I couldn't figure out what was happening. You leave your papers on the desk here. As you leave the room, everybody files out and just throws a paper down. Oh, that, that's a great experience. I want them to have the college experience. Hey, listen, if you have enough money, if you saved it, I don't care what you do with your money. But if it means you don't get to retire, if you're one of these 21% of baby boomers that don't have a retirement plan at all or retirement account, then I don't want you to be putting your money aside for your child's college because he has 50 years to pay that off. She has 30, 40 different options between grants and scholarships and working part-time and and, uh, going to community college and taking online courses and on and on and on. There's a boatload of options. With retirement, what do you have? Social Security that is barely going to be there to to replace your lifestyle, if if any. Maybe a pension, if you're one of those 19% of Americans that have one. Your own savings. If you live in Southern California and you were fortunate enough to have bought a home years ago, today it's worth a lot more, great. But if you just bought a house for 580000 in the last few years and you think you're going to sell it to your kids, like you bought your parents' generation's home, and you think you're going to sell it to your kids for $3 million in 30 years, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a long shot. I think you're guessing. I get it. Like my parents, they bought a house for 46000 35 years later, it's worth five hundred. Well, that's amazing. If you think you're, eight, you're, you're 50 years old and you're going to buy a house for 500000 and when you're 80 or 85, that house is going to be worth $3 million or Maybe it is. Depends on where you buy it, I guess. But if that's what you're counting on, Folks, I think you need a plan B, maybe even a plan C. Because what are these baby boomers going to do? Number one, I think they're going to continue to work. They're going to stay in their career field, which means there isn't going to be room for advancement for the younger generation. Remember, as the top retires, they'll usually hire one or two or three more for the same pay. But as the older stays, there's going to be bumping of the head of the younger group. Now, today we have a job, uh, we have an employee shortage. We have a job surplus. So if you're a senior, whether that means a senior in high school, college, or you're 60 years old, you can work probably anywhere, anytime for almost any job, except if you think like some of the folks that I've run across. Yeah, Eric, I want a job, but it has to be Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, within a six-mile radius of my house. I need full benefits. I need to get out in time and take my... No, folks. You're an employee. You want those kind of hours, you start your own business and wait 10 years. And then you can have those kinds of hours. Right now, nobody knows you, so you're going to start. And make sure that you work hard. Harder than expected. Be more curious than the others. Be more diligent in your follow-up and your preparation. 
and be likable. You realize people are hired today because of their resumes. Everybody's hired because of their, hey, you look great. Oh, you went to that school. Oh, that's great. Oh, you, you, have, you can type it, you know, 100 words a minute. Oh, that's amazing. You know, all these 18 software programs. That's cool. You start working and you can't get along with the people next to you or your boss or you're disrespectful to the people that are your subordinates. You're not there very long. I heard it said that people are hired for what they know and they are fired for what they do and who they are. So teach your young kids to be a bit more respectful. Teach your young people. And if you're a senior, if you're somebody who's trying to have that kind of life, then you need to understand something. As a senior citizen, you better start planning. If you're 45, 55, 60 years old, and you don't think you have enough, put a plan together. And I don't think you need a 47-page financial plan where you have two hours of meetings, three different times, so you've got to meet with this guy. You've got to basically pack a lunch, a suitcase, and your toothbrush to have meeting number one with your financial planner, meeting number two with your financial planner, and meeting number three with your financial Each one is two hours long. I think you're smart enough to do most of, if not all of this, on your own. That's called the Internet, folks. Here's what it is. Simple enough. For most people... You say, how much do I make and how much do I spend? Not difficult. What is my food, shelter, clothing? Vacations. Up it up, uh, up it a little bit, meaning uh, let's say you take, uh, uh, okay, I need $100,000 a year. That's net after taxes. Net is after taxes. Think of like a net when you go fishing. What falls through is the tax revenue. Whatever you get to catch is what you get to keep. And it's gross how much falls out and goes in taxes. Right? That's a little trick on how to remember it. So if you need 100000 to spend, that's your comfort level. You say, okay, oh, I have to pay taxes on that. I need 135000 If that's the number, then you do the math. And you say, if I'm in my 60s, I can take out 4.5%. That's a pretty good number, 4%. Financial guys are trying to say, you know, three, three and a half. I don't know. It depends on how long you're going to live, what your other sources of income are. I think people spend less money a little bit later on in life on food, shelter, clothing, and travel because you tend to eat less. You tend to have your home paid off. You tend to not be traveling as much. You're not buying a new car every five years. But you also have health care expenses. So maybe it's an off. You know, maybe it's, uh, it, it cancels itself out. But be very careful in thinking that any financial professional is going to finally be the, the truth, the answer, the light for you. Maybe they are. Maybe you need that little kick, kick in the fanny. Maybe that's, that's what you need. But pause for a minute. Use your common sense. Trust your gut. And if I went to you today and said, I don't care your age, 40, 50, 60, 70. And if I went to you today and I said, would you like a million dollars in cash? or $10,000 a month for the rest of your life. Now, if you want a million dollars in cash because you think you could turn it into $2 million by next week, okay, well then, you're a bit more on the risky side and it's not the right clients for us. It's not the people we work with. But if you say, I want a guaranteed source of income, I want that $10,000 a month in, in this example, then we'd say, okay, well, let's take a look and see. Because if you need 10000 a month, 
Let's take off your social security. Let's take off your maybe rental income. Let's back off some of your interest income. We did a plan for a gentleman this uh, last week. Simple enough. I'll keep it basic. $400,000 in an account that pays 3% interest per year. The next month, you're allowed to pull out the interest. So 400, 400 times three, that's $1,000 a month. 12000 a year, 1000 a month. He gets to retain his principal, take it all out if he wants. He gets to take out $1,000 a month in income and never touch the principal. But what if he doesn't need it? Well, then just let it sit there. What if in six months he needs some of it? In six months. Right? So there are accounts out there that don't have crazy fees. But listen, I promise you, the insurance companies are going to make more. These are annuities. There's bank accounts and insurance uh, companies. Banks and insurance companies were tasked about 100 years ago, 120 years ago, to put money in the U.S. economy and take money out of the U.S. economy. The Federal Reserve came along. Of course, I'm oversimplifying it, guys, but, but this is what you need to know. They came along and they said, we're tired of having the U.S. economy collapse every so often. So what we're going to do is we're going to allow, allow banks and insurance companies to put money in and take money out of the U.S. economy. Banks, they call it checking, savings, and CDs. Insurance companies, they call it fixed and fixed indexed annuities. And today, even variable annuities. So that's the name of the product. But Arif, do I give up all of my money in annuity? No, at least not none that we work with. Maybe there are some out there. Do I think, Arif, should I put everything in, in an annuity? No. Should I put everything in the stock market? No. Should I put everything under my mattress? You get it? I, I think you have to be careful because I don't want you to be tricked by any financial professional. And I think they can do that. I think they're going to try to tell you they're an expert in every single thing. I had lunch with somebody recently and, and he says, oh, we are a financial firm. I said, well, who's at the firm? And he said, me and my brother. I said, oh, that's cool. It's nice to work with family, I think. How many other people? Well, we have a, a secretary. Okay, great. What do you guys do? Well, we do stocks, bonds, mutual funds, REITs, commodities, annuities, guaranteed income. I said, so what are you guys good at? And he said, he, he kind of cocked his head, looked at me a little funny, squinted his eyes, and, and he said, well, all of it. I said, okay, but what are you great at? He said, what do you mean? I said, what are you great at? Because those are completely different skill sets. Now, if you have 10 people in your office and each one of them is an expert in everything, okay, then I would, I would say somebody is you know, you know, expert in each one of those areas. I would say, okay, go over to see the tax lady. Tax lady does it. Go over and see the corporate attorney. Corporate attorney does it. Go over and see the... Now I would say at least you have a better shot of having experts. What do we do? We're an expert. I'm an expert in the financial world. No, I'm an expert in fixed safety retirement income. That's what you need, 22 years. We used to do the securities world. We used to do the stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And I can tell you this. Listen, in 2000, I used to take credit when the market went up. If any of your financial guys or gals took credit, tell you how awesome they are because the market went up. And then when it went down, 
they look like some of the drug suspects that I used to arrest, right? Where'd the drugs go? Who did it? And they both point each direction. It went that away. And I said, well, wait a second. What do you mean that away? Listen, if you took credit when the market went up, you have to take the blame when the market goes down. You don't get it both ways. I'm all right if you are such a superstar in the financial stock market world and you make me incredible rates of return. But when it goes down, you also have to say you messed up. And you should probably get me out a little earlier. Harvard didn't get out when they lost $100 million. Harvard uh, uh, didn't get out when they lost $250 million. They didn't get out when they lost $800 million. They had to lose one-point-something billion dollars. Oh, by the way, they fired her. Yeah, and she said sorry, so it should all be okay, right? She said sorry. Your broker might say sorry. Or, or here, you're in it for the long haul. Hey, buddy, I'm 65. I don't know how much more long haul I have, at least to spend my money. But I'd prefer to, like, I don't know, have safety and security. Our job is not to make you rich. It's to keep you from being broke. I'm going to tell you a couple stories when we come back. You guys, I give you updates on the Woodbridge uh, scenario. I told you this would happen. It is happening. You now have individual brokers that are on the hook. You're going to start seeing uh, attorneys advertising and consistently getting out there. I'm going to talk about that. And plus, I'm going to give you the, um, oh, I don't know what you call the ripoff of the week. We had a client come in. He didn't even know what kind of fees. In fact, he's listening. At least he was listening. That's how he heard about us. And we'll talk about him. He gave me permission to uh, share his story. And I think it's something that at least you have to learn a little bit about. If you like it, good good for you. We'll be back. I'm Eric Hallaby on your place for news, talk, and information. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. Stay tuned to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arab Halaby, the total financial hour on AM870, The Answer. You heard the phone number. 888-99-RETIRE if you have a question. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. Okay, we're talking about uh, a few different things, but specifically uh, why I want the responsibility for the safety uh, to be in your hands. I don't want you to think that the job of your financial professional is to keep your money safe. It isn't. Because understand that there isn't any, uh, they don't get paid. And I don't mean they're bad, but there's no monthly or quarterly or annual fee that's built into safety. Ask them, do I pay a fee on the money that's in my money market account? I don't know what the answer is going to be, but mm, I'd say 99.999, that's probably no. So isn't it interesting? My experience has been just before the end of the month, just before the end of the quarter, if there's money sitting in the money market account, they rebalance and fully invest and rebalance the portfolio to maximize the potential to be able to charge a fee. Now, maybe you don't understand, Eric, what we do. There's a whole intricate algorithm behind the scenes. Okay, um, uh, maybe. And all of that is nice. 
but I don't pay a fee every time I start my car. You know, in my Acura or, or my Chevy, I don't I don't put the key in and then send a dollar fifty off to uh, you know headquarters. I bought it. I bought it, and I get to drive it, and it has their logo on it, so I'm advertising them as I drive around town. I understand. I don't pay a fee every time I wear a shirt that says my my favorite tennis shoe company on it, right? If I wear that T-shirt and I'm walking or working out, I don't pay a fee. It's it's my T-shirt. I bought it. Now, they got paid back then whenever I bought it. So what, what are you buying? And you need to ask that question, say, Listen, I paid a fee already when I bought this. Some of you are paying as much as five and a half, five and three quarters percent. And then another one and a half percent every year. I was with uh, somebody yesterday and he said, Eric, the, the biggest thing, it was another financial guy. He said, Eric, the biggest one I've ever seen was five and three quarters percent per year. It was a variable annuity. You've heard me say these are my least favorite. I'm sure there's a great use for them somewhere. I've yet to find it in 22 years, but maybe, maybe. But Eric, you're not even licensed to sell them. You're right, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to tell you if it's right for you or not. With one phone call, you get to decide if it's right for you, not me. You get to look at your account and say, yes, it's worth it. And you know what? Sometimes people say it. They'll say, you know what? It is worth it. And I'll go, great. Great. I'm glad for you. I don't want you to think it isn't worth it just because, oh, I don't know. You haven't made any money and you keep paying a fee and you're wondering. Here's a great example. Scott had $119,000 in his account. And uh, I know, Scott, if you're listening, I'm going to round, uh, round off for the sake of the, the show. But I did some quick math and I saw this. I go, oh, I wonder if you're paying about uh, $300 a month. He's like, no. I think he said, oh, it's $45 a year. I said, wow, it's a pretty good, pretty good rate. Let's make a call. We just ask questions. That's it. And then we use the calculator and we do the math. We ask the lady or the gentleman on the phone, is this correct? Two point, I think it was 2.9% in fees or 2.89% in fees. And he says, yes. And I said, I know that it changes. The value changes every once in a while. But if we take that number and we times it by the 119,000, we're going to get about how much? And I think it was $285 a month. Now, I said 300 and Scott looks at me. He goes, oh, you were pretty close. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Now, listen, if you're paying $300 a month or 285 a month, and you're earning, I don't know, five, six, eight hundred times, uh, uh, $100 more, right? I would do that deal. I'd give you 280 and you made me 600. I think that's cool. I'll take that. It's not my favorite. I prefer to make a thousand and give you two, but that's okay. I would do that. But when we did the math from the time that he opened the account to now, the amount of fees that he's paid and the amount of gain that he's made, he's actually paid more in fees than the amount of money that his account has gone up. Now, I understand percentages and algorithms and carry the one and divide by six. But what I'm saying for you as a, as a client, you don't care about that stuff. You don't spend percentages and algorithms at the grocery store. You spend dollars. So I encourage you, call up. Come to us, right? If you want, we'll do it. It's one phone call. Again, you're the one that decides whether it's right for you or not. 
we have a little worksheet, name, address, right? Simple enough that we get from the companies. We say, I don't know, how much, how much are we putting in? How much did we get out? We had one where I thought, uh, I thought it was a significant, I'm like, there's no way this can happen. The, the way the client understood it. And believe it or not, the client was right. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty good account. I've never heard of this. So we called up, when we called up the company, we found this out. I said, this is a great account. She said, yeah, we don't have them anymore. This was from 2004. I'm like, oh gosh. You mean the company doesn't offer them anymore? No, we haven't offered it for years. All right. Well, if you have it, then keep it. Sometimes these accounts are pretty darn good. I haven't found a variable annuity that's pretty good, but that's, that's not for me to decide. You've got to always take a look and see if it's right for you. Simply because you spend dollars. What you put in and what is it worth? All right, here's something else. Did you know that there's more to wealth than net worth? I know that's not going to surprise some of our listeners. Charles Schwab asked Americans to define wealth for its 2018 Wealth Index. And here's what they found. Believe it or not, a variety of people didn't define dollars anymore as wealth. They actually changed it. They said, what you need to be wealthy and and what is successful, 28% said living stress-free. 18% said being able to afford what I want. And 17% said loving relationships with family and friends. Now, if you do the math and you add it all together, you're somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60%. That means... Six out of 10 people don't even define wealth by money anymore. Now, maybe for a lot of us, it's always been that way. But I do want you to pay attention to that number because the key to wealth is not dying with a million dollars in your savings account and 10 million in your, you know, your checking. The key to wealth is for you to build a life and to spend your money. You know, Tom Hania, I've had him on my show a couple of times. Tom Hania is, a, is an author and, an, I think, a pretty smart guy. He's written a couple books. One of them is called Paychecks, to Paych- uh, Paychecks and Playchecks. Here's what he says. It's kind of interesting. He says, listen, there's one thing to have your food, shelter, clothing paid for. But the first 10 years of your retirement are called your go-go years. I don't know if he coined the phrase. It's just where I first heard it. Your go-go years. And what that means is that's the time when you're buying the RV. You're taking those trips, you're skydiving, you're traveling the country or the world. You're doing things, going back to school, learning to dance, learning to play a musical instrument. Those go-go years are the first 10 years. The second 10 years, eh, it's a slow years, slow go. Meaning you're staying close to home, about 10, 20 miles radius of the house. Mostly your family goes to, comes to you. You might go to them if it's once in a while, but you're slowing down, and hence your spending, believe it or not, slows down. That's why when people say, oh, you're going to need to spend uh, you know, 6%, 8%, 2%, 4 I, I don't see that as reality. I see people sometimes spending a lot less in retirement. I don't want you to spend less because you're afraid, but just understand a lot of people don't buy a new pair of shoes as often or close because they are not going to work every day. So just kind of keep that in mind. So he says that second 10 years, you're going to spend a little bit less money 
and then the last 10, you're going to spend a lot more money, but now it's on health care. The last 10 years, you don't leave the house very often at all. Church, hair appointments, nail appointments, doctors come back. And by doing that, you better be careful on that last 10 years of your life, right? If you think about it from 65 to 75, 75 to 85, and then 85 to 95 years old. People are living to 95 all the day, all, all the time. We had three different clients come in this, this week, couples, that had a parent still alive in their 90s. 195, 192, 190. I always note that because I say, well, listen, you have longevity in your family. And remember back then, those folks didn't have soy and wheatgrass for breakfast. You know, they, they ate bacon and eggs and a good hearty steak in the evening and there's no such thing as a Fitbit, you know. Their Fitbit was just kind of walking around and hanging out and there wasn't any kind of life that monitored health back then. What is your uh, cholesterol rating? Many of you people today know what? You know what your cholesterol rating is above and beyond your own, I don't know, your own uh, heart heart rate, right? (laughs) Back then, those folks maybe knew maybe knew their blood pressure, but they didn't know their credit score. Today, we are so hyper full with your world of information that it's a little scary. And if those folks that didn't understand smoking was bad for you or drinking, you know, a a port every night was maybe not the best thing for you. If those folks made it to age 92, 95, how much more so might you? So be very careful. I think we have to plan to live to to mid-90s. Every time we turn around the insurance industry and the actuarial world, they go out and they adjust their formula. I don't I don't know how accurate it is, if it's up to date or if it always seems to be you know, five or ten years behind, but things seem to be changing. Here's an interesting part. Younger Americans, clear, simple enough, younger Americans are not investing in the stock market. Researchers think they know why. Here's why. They saw the collapse of 2008. Now, you understand that when the kids are in the house and you think they're eating their Cheerios or they're watching uh, TV or playing video games, you understand that they're listening to you argue, talk, discuss your fears, your hope. They're worried about a couple of things. They're worried about living a life of stress like you did. So they know it. If you talk about, look, there's something that I do. I wear a suit and tie to work. That's what I do. Now, listen, when I get in my car, if I've had a long day, I'll I'll take off my tie. I'll adjust it. But before I went in the driveway and walked in the house, I looked the same as when I left. Because why would I want my kids to see daddy go to work, come home all, you know, come home after all day and decide a couple of things. What? Decide one thing that why would it look like daddy got his fanny kicked, right? Daddy had a tough day. He comes in dragging. Boy, that's, I can't wait to be like him. No, no, he's going to come out and, and be uh, a little bit different, right? I want daddy to, to come home and look the same. Because a big part of life is not about you just going to work. 
It's about you understanding that you are leaving an example. And those kids need to see two things. They need to see results. And in 2000 and 2008, those young people saw you lose your shirt in the stock market. And they, they are very much afraid of you. They're afraid of the same thing happening, right? That's one of the reasons. Why aren't young people buying houses? Why aren't they buying cars? Why aren't they getting driver's licenses? I think we are in for a tectonic shift. And if you are counting on those young people to put money in their 401k so that the share price goes up, right? It's a supply and demand. You understand when you put money, when there are more people wanting to buy something, the price goes up. And if you are selling it because you can't take shares to the grocery store, you have to take dollars. So you're selling it. You're exchanging whatever shares, whatever dollars uh, that were there into real hard cash. Somebody on the other side has to be there to buy it. And if they're not, what happens to the price? It goes down. So a lot of people say, whoa, whoa, whoa. If young people aren't putting money in the market, if young people aren't buying houses, what are they doing with their money? They are living. Most of them living for today. Most of them living in your basement. (laughs) Most of them living in your back room, driving your car, taking the rideshare programs. Most of them are not in a place where they see things like food, shelter, clothing as a risk that they have to prepare for. And often it has to do with the guilt of you as a parent. Eh, Sorry, I said it. At a divorce, a dad or a mom that wasn't in their life and you feel bad because maybe it was your fault. It probably wasn't, but you still feel that way. Add in there that you had to work So you had a two-income family, so the kids were what we used to call latchkey kids, or they would come home and nobody would be home. They'd have that key around their neck on a shoelace. They'd pull it out, and they'd open the the door to an empty house. So there's guilt. So a lot of us drive our financial life through guilt. And if it isn't you because you're, you're, you're 65, it's probably your daughter or your son. Right? They, They give the kid everything they want. And I can tell you, when you speak to kids separately, their goal is to not have everything they want. It's to have you. To live in the biggest, fanciest house and to drive the biggest, fanciest car is your issue, not them. You might have conditioned them to think that that's what matters. But to have you present is much more important. So be very careful because a big part of you saving for your future and for retirement is making sure there's a young person behind you who's putting money into the market, who's putting money into a savings account to buy a home. And that can affect you. All right, I want to update you on the Woodbridge deal, right? I I see it as a problem, and I I said this from the beginning. Last fall, we were seeing this Sherman Oaks-based company, Woodland Hill Sherman Oaks-based company, that had run a 15-year Ponzi scheme 1.2, 1.5 billion, it depends. I've seen both numbers. But but over $1 billion, B, billion dollars in a Ponzi scheme for the last 15 years. It made a successful name in itself. It was running short-term loans. That's what it was doing, bridge loans. Nine months, one year. They would give the broker, maybe some of you don't know about this, so I'll, I'll kind of fill you in. They would give the broker the option. They'd say, broker, 
You have 9% to play with. Whatever you want to give the client, you can give them. You want to give them 3%, you get to keep 6. You want to give them 5, you can keep 4. And then every year, the client says, renew it, let it ride, or pay me out. Now realize this. It was just a math problem. I was uh, approached by this, I don't know, maybe two years ago or something. I remember where I was. And I remember bringing out the calculator. I said, okay, so that means uh, I give them 100000 They drop down to $91,000. Um, so now they, they have to earn interest on ninety one to bring it back up in order to pay everybody. And by the way, the company needs to make a profit, so there needs to be money in there. So where does all this money go and come from? You mean to tell me somebody's paying 14 15 16% for a one-year loan when money was virtually free? Oh, yeah. I said, well, what kind of people take that kind of risk? You know, in other words, if you're that desperate to pay 15% for money, I, I'm, I'm not a, you know, listen, I'm not a, a financial, I don't know, guru. I'm not Warren Buffett. But I'm pretty darn good in the sense that I have, a, I have a calculator. We have a successful firm. We have a few offices. I have a, I don't know, eight employees. We're okay. I just used math and logic. So here's what I said. Enough of you are going to be upset with your brokers because they knew or should have known. And you're going to start a class action. And you're going to begin to sue these, these brokers. And all the broker has to do is subpoena your records, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Broker. I mean, all all the attorney. The attorney has to subpoena your broker's records and find out everybody else that was sold on this Woodbridge. And some of you might have been, whew, I got out of it. I got out and sold everything three years ago. Well, there's something called a clawback provision, clawback. And that means the trustee has the ability to go back and say, listen, you put in 100000 you took out 130 but those are ill-gotten gains. So you got out of it three years ago, two years ago, whatever the time frame is, but you got to give it all back. It goes into the pot, through the bankruptcy, the trustee takes his or her fee, the bankruptcy judge takes their fee, and then maybe you get a portion, some, or, or maybe half, I don't know. You get it back three years from Tuesday. You go, what the heck? Yes, that's exactly right. So you might have gotten out of the deal. You might have been lucky. But I need you to be very careful because you have to understand that this is a federal matter now. It's an SEC Ponzi scheme. I don't, it's not my words, right? I didn't know it was a Ponzi scheme. I didn't do that. I just knew one thing. I knew the numbers didn't work. So there must have been some new math that they were teaching kids in college or high school that I didn't, I, I missed that class because it didn't seem to work in the numbers that I had. And lo and behold, a couple years later, surprise. So expect to either be contacted by a lawyer. Now, you don't have to. This is the Silver Law Group. I think they're out of New York. Let me see where they're located. I want to say it's New York. They're going after the individual brokers. Yeah, New York. They have an office in Coral Springs, Florida, New York. There are plenty of law firms. You're going to see them just like, you have mesothelioma. Do you have, did you drive a Pinto and get hit in the 
Yeah, those people, those lawyers, <laughs> good, bad, and ugly, they're going to come out of the woodwork. So if you're a financial client and you have lost some money, you'll either be contacted or we'll reach out. But expect you may have to sue the broker. They have insurance. It's called E&O, Errors and Admissions Insurance. And if they were doing things legally and it was a tough move and everybody, you know, sometimes things happen and then their insurance will pay. And if not, the broker will have to pay or they'll get sued personally. I don't know what the rules will be. But they should have known. The 9% that they were offering. And then you give the provision. You give the option to the broker to decide how much they're going to pay and who and for how much. Referral fees were being paid out. That means you were not licensed, right? You're a client. And you were getting paid a referral fee and they were trying to say, oh, you don't need a securities license. You can do this with this license or that license. I don't know. All I know is that this is just the beginning. And if you've been taken in this scam, we've had quite a few listeners that have been taken. I know many of you uh, had one particular broker. I won't use his name. I feel sorry for him, actually. Uh, and you were taken for him, uh, taken by him on, on this deal. Contact some of these law, law groups. See if there's an option. Maybe there isn't. Maybe you can't do anything about it. But this is just the beginning. So be careful with these Ponzi schemes, guys, because they're out there. You have to watch your back. All right, when we come back, this is our second hour of the show. We've got a special coming up. Our second hour of the show is very important. Why? Because I think most of you don't have any idea what it takes to be considered wealthy. Like, what are the numbers? Top 1%, we heard all about that a few years ago. I'm going to have that, a whole lot more information, some of the fees to watch out for, and when you should use a traditional IRA versus a Roth, what the differences are for you and your family. All right, we're going to continue after the break. Stay with me for the special second hour of the Total Financial Solutions Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby on your, sh- your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870, The Answer. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 